0: Chapter One. We will look at the first three verses today, and today marks the beginning of a study in which we will go through the whole book of Hebrews, every verse. Praise the Lord. We uh, we go. We've been through a lot of books from start to finish. We usually after we go through a book, we take a little bit of bit of a break, and for a few months, we've been taking a break and looking at some different topics and some other different things, but. Uh, it is time that we dive back into a new book, and Hebrews, coincidentally, is probably my favorite book in all of the Bible. Uh, it'll probably take us about, probably about 30, 32 weeks to get through it, so probably, probably about this time next year we'll finish it, but we're not going to rush through it, as most of you well know. We'll just take little bite-sized chunks, should we need to. We will take our time so that we can understand it as best we can, uh, There are going to be a couple of these things that we discuss in Hebrews that are going to be really tough things. That's one reason why probably I have not uh, preached through the book of Hebrews before. And so there's going to be a couple of of things that are going to be tough for us uh, to consider as we go through the book of Hebrews. But we will uh, get to those things when we get there. There's probably, I'm going to warn you now, there's probably going to be a couple of these sermons in the next year or so as we go through this book that are going to be a little longer. Uh, Some of them are going to take a little more time for us to kind of dig into. Uh, But we are going to start in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and today will be somewhat of an introduction of really what the whole book is about. And uh, there will be some topics that we talk about perhaps in the next few weeks that we really won't dig into deeply until we get on further into the book. Uh, But the book of Hebrews we don't really know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Uh, A lot of people have suggested that it was Paul that has written this book, and it may well have been. Some of the writing style and things that are said there uh, sound like something Paul may have written, or perhaps it's someone who was familiar with Paul's writings or was familiar with Paul, uh, but we don't know who wrote it. It could have been Paul, but then there are some things in the book that lead us to think that, well, maybe it, it wasn't Paul who wrote this book. And As we see in some of the books, the writer of the book, they they tell us, ah, so-and-so am writing this letter to you or this this, whatever it is to you. Uh, But in this case, the author doesn't say who they are. So we simply do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. And so uh, you will hear me say often as we go through the study, uh, the author of the book of Hebrews simply because it's uncertain. It doesn't matter really who wrote it. It'd be nice for us to know who wrote it, but we simply did not know who wrote the book. As far as the time of writing of the book, that is also, it's hard to know exactly when the book of Hebrews was written. However, it is likely it was probably written sometime around 65 AD is when it was written. And and the biggest clue that that would lead us to think that perhaps that's when this was written is because the audience that the author of Hebrews is writing to appears to be a Jewish audience. People who are who, who are, are are Jewish by birth, have Jewish blood, they know the law. That was a big focus. We see that when we when we study the ministry of Jesus and, and on into the letters of Paul and throughout the New Testament as far as that goes. Uh, but but predominantly for the Jewish people, they, they really focused on the letter of the law. They were very legalistic and 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 many of those legalistic people missed Jesus. They missed the Messiah. They were so focused on living by the letter of the law or checking the boxes for what it meant to be religious that they did all that all the while they were not serving jesus or or serving the lord or listening to who jesus said he was or or following in jesus and so here by this point jesus has already come he's been crucified and he's been resurrected 30 plus years before this book was written and this group of jewish believers here It appears as though, as the book continues on, that they are being tempted to turn from Jesus Christ and to turn back to the old ways. Now, the old ways are the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. Right, God told them at first it was a tent they had to build a tabernacle and there were certain ways that it had to be built and certain sacrifices that had to be given and there was a high priest that would go in and make the sacrifice on behalf of the people and there were all these different things that they had to do and not do and it was just this whole big deal and eventually the temple was built and these sacrifices still continued on uh, until the time that Jesus came and died on the cross and he was our sacrifice one. Once and for all. And you see in the scripture that when Jesus died on the cross, that the veil of the temple was torn. That is to symbolize and say there is no more need for any more sacrifice because Jesus is the one and only sacrifice that is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. But it appears as though, from the book as we get into it, that these Jewish Christians perhaps uh, had, had obviously heard of Jesus. It appears as though they had been following Jesus. But now there is a temptation to go back to the old ways, to go back to the old sacrificial system. Now for that to to take place, this would have had to have occurred before 70 AD because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So there were no more sacrifices that could have been offered. So perhaps that is a, uh, a clue that this book was written before 70 AD if they were being tempted to go back and offer sacrifices, implying that that was still something they could do at that time. And so the author of Hebrews jumps right into the book and immediately he is placing the focus on Jesus. Throughout the whole book, This is going to be the main focus of the writer of Hebrews, is this focus on Jesus. And so he starts the letter out with this focus on Jesus. So let's pray, and we'll jump into the text. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for this good word. And God, I pray that everything that is preached here today will be for your glory, dear Lord. I pray that each of us in this room would start with Jesus and would finish with Jesus. God, that we are not tempted to to seek anything else, dear Lord. There is no truth. There is no fulfillment. There is no joy. There is no peace. There is salvation in none other than Jesus Christ, dear Lord. We may be tempted, even some who have gone to church their whole life, who know your word. Maybe, God, even some who are yours may be tempted to seek some things of the world. But let us not be tempted to seek anything else. But let us put Jesus... At the forefront, God, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that you would take away any pride that I have, any fear that I have, dear Lord, but that every word today comes from my mouth, from you and for each one of us, dear Lord, and all for your glory. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times And in different ways. Now, this is really uh, just a a real general uh, summarization of what the Old Testament is. Throughout the Old Testament, you see tons of prophets that God sends to the people. Now, some of them have books named after them. Some people we may not even consider to be prophets, like David, for instance, who is referred to as a prophet in Acts chapter 2. But we think about maybe some of the big names, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and then you've got all those minor prophets that maybe you don't read them very much because some of the language in there is kind of crazy, or, or, or some of those books that are real short that are hard to find. A lot of those would fall into the category of the minor prophets. Prophets. And throughout Israel's history, one way that God communicated with his people was through prophets. God would speak to these prophets and they would speak to God's people. Now, a lot of these prophecies, they may be prophecies against other nations, destruction that were going to come. They may have been prophecies against Israel, against God's own people. Hey, if you don't change the way you're doing things, here's what's about to happen. It might have been a prophecy of something good that was going to come. We have plenty of prophecies of Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And so God spoke to his people and revealed his will and the things that he wanted to know to try to get their attention, to try to get them on the right path, to try to warn them, to try to correct them, to try to let them know what to look for in the Messiah who was coming. This is the way in which God spoke to his people up to the point of Jesus Christ. That was the changing point. Everything in the Old Testament is bringing us to Jesus Christ. From Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, it's all bringing us to Jesus Christ. And that is the turning point. That is the point in which everything changed. And that's what we see throughout the book of Hebrews. So long ago... In the past, there were these old ways that God spoke to the people and there were these things he told them to do and there were these ways that he communicated himself to them and revealed himself to them and that's how God used to do this in a variety of different ways. Uh, sometimes maybe these who are prophesying might do some, some crazy things that we see that God tells them to do, to kind of kind of show the people, okay, here's what the prophet's doing, and here's what this means. So we, we see all kind of these different ways in the Old Testament in which God spoke through the prophets long ago. Okay, and that's part of the problem for the audience that he's writing to. They're wanting to go back to the ways of long ago, but they're they're totally... Forgetting something here. These are people that that seem to have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, seem to be Christians, but yet they are wanting to turn back from what they have found in Jesus Christ, that is faith in Jesus Christ, deliverance in Jesus Christ, to somehow saying, oh, but wait, we've got to go back to this old way of doing things so that we can somehow find salvation or, or, or live a life that is pleasing to God. So long ago, this is the way that God did things in what we would call the Old Testament. But, he says in verse 2, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Now, these last days, that's a phrase that perhaps we could spend a moment on. We won't spend too much time on. We see the phrase last days throughout uh, uh, the scriptures. Sometimes it's speaking possibly of some end times, last days. Other times it's just speaking of uh, simply the end of a of a period of time or, or or an end of something that that perhaps is is coming in the future, not the distant future, but but p- perhaps not a not a not a last days end times. Perhaps we see that and we think, oh, he's speaking of they were in the end times at this point. Well. Probably that's not what he means here. Uh, It's possible that he means just maybe in the most recent days, in these last days that have just occurred before us, that is, in the days of Jesus Christ, which would have just been a few years before this. uh, Perhaps he's saying in in these most recent times, uh, this is the way that God has spoken to us. That's one way he could mean it, uh, but uh, probably unlikely. He's probably saying uh, that the last days is the whole period from the time that Jesus was crucified and resurrected until until whenever, whenever it's going to be. We are living the last days uh, that is started in the days of Jesus Christ. We see uh, other other, uh, reasons to think that uh, in Acts chapter 2. Now, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, you can. If not, you can just listen closely. Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 18. This was at the time of Pentecost, and there was a prophet, a, a prophecy from the prophet Joel about the last days. And the days of Pentecost, that's, uh, the prophecy of Joel was interpreted to be, okay, here's the fulfillment of that prophecy. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, it says... Uh, on the contrary, on the contrary to what? Now, people had received the Holy Spirit and all this, all this gnarly stuff was going on and people thought people were crazy and all this good stuff. But instead of the people being crazy at this time after Jesus' resurrection, it says in Acts two sixteen. on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. "'And it will be in the last days,' says God, "'that I will pour out my Spirit on all humanity. "'Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy.'" Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves in those days and they will prophesy. And so the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, at least it is believed here in the book of Acts, is that, hey, these are the last days that Joel was speaking about. These events that are occurring at this moment in time at Pentecost let us know that the last days have come. Now, if you continue to read the verses that come after that, perhaps those verses are speaking of, of something else that is to come at a later day. Uh, but but at the very least, this these events appear to... Uh, be identified in the book of Acts as things that are occurring in the last days. And so it's possible that here in Hebrews, when we see this same language in these last days, he's just simply saying, okay, these last days began when Jesus was crucified and resurrected and the Holy Spirit came and we are living in these last days as long as they may go on for." I don't know the answer to that. But regardless of the last days here, what is important is the change that he's making. In the old days, this is how God spoke through the prophets. This is how God worked in a variety of different ways. But now in the present, at this time in which we live, God is speaking in a different way. God no longer speaks by the prophets. God no longer uh, speaks through a variety of different ways to, to tell people his will. Now it says he speaks through his son so here's the change we're shifting from the old way the old way of doing things the old sacrificial system the old law all of these things that many of the Jews would have probably been very good at living by at least at least in in, in, in their eyes they would have been very good at checking those boxes but they were not very good at following the will of God and being obedient to God's word but in the old days, this is how you live, but now there's something different you're looking at. You're not looking to the prophets, you're looking to Jesus, the Son of God, who he has appointed, uh, heir of all things, and made the universe through him. Now, if you want to flip with me to Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read kind of a lengthy passage here, but, but this passage also helps explain the idea that, that the author of Hebrews is trying to get across to us here. Mark chapter 12, we'll read verses 1 through 12. And this parable is, is often referred to as the parable of the vineyard owner. And this is a parable which tells us a uh, very similar uh, type, of, type of idea here to what we see in the book of Hebrews. So Mark chapter 12, this is a parable of Jesus. Mark chapter twelve verse one. Then he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug out a pit for a wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenant farmers and went away. Now. I'll explain the parable a little bit to you. This is God who has planted this vineyard. This is God who has made everything. He is the creator of the vineyard and he has put his people in the vineyard. So God has done all the work. God has prepared the vineyard and he has has everything that his people need are there. He's made the vineyard and he's placed people in the vineyard. All right, verse two. At harvest time, he sent a slave to the farmers to collect some of the fruit of the vineyard from the farmers, okay? So God has provided the people with everything that they need, and it seems only fitting that they bless God, that God has taken care of them, that they bless God when harvest time comes, but instead, all that they have been blessed with, they want to keep for themselves. They don't want to do anything to serve God. They don't want to acknowledge God as prepared the vineyard they don't want to acknowledge that god has done all the work that god has provided for them and prepared a safe place for them nope when the time of harvest comes when they should say hey vineyard owner you've been good to us we will be good to you we will serve you we will give back to you all from what you have given to us that's not their response and so when it came time for the uh, crop to be produced in verse three it says but they took him, that is the first uh, a slave that, that, that the vineyard owner sent, but they took him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another slave to them, and they hit him on the head and treated him shamefully. Then he sent another, and they killed that one. He also sent many others, they beat some, and they killed. Killed some. Now, these slaves that continue to be sent are representative of the prophets and those that God chose to speak through in the Old Testament. Time and time again, God sent people to lead His people, He sent prophets to prophesy to His people, and whoever God sent, His people were just hard headed. They many times refused to worship God. They fe- refused to be obedient to God. Instead, they would choose to worship idols. They would always find themselves worshiping false gods and doing, building altars to false gods. And time and time again, this is the story of the Old Testament, God's people continually refuse to be obedient to him. Okay, so God has provided everything for his people, and you would think that God's people would just praise him and serve him and be obedient to him and be in his safety by doing what he calls them to do, but they do not. Sometimes, perhaps, we do not. So, God sent all these different people, the prophets and, and, and judges and all the different, whoever it was that God put over his people, and everyone that God would send to speak for him and to lead the people for him, inevitably God's people would refuse to follow that one. So what was God going to do? Well, let's see what the vineyard owner here does. Verse six, he still had one to send, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them saying, they will respect my son. But those tenant farmers said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they seized him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. Now, this is pretty easy for us to see this parable and, and who the Son is. It is Jesus Christ. God is the Father who has made the vineyard. God has provided for His people, and His people has com- have completely rejected every way that He has tried to speak to Him, every person He has sent into their path. They have failed to be obedient to God. So, what is the vineyard owner going to do? What is God going to do? He says, Well, I've got my one and only Son. That's what I'll do. If I send my own son down to the vineyard, then surely they won't turn the son away. Surely they'll listen to what the son has to say. But what did the, those who tended the vineyard do? And they saw the son and they said, well, let's kill him. We, then everything can be ours. All of this can be ours if we kill the one who is the heir. And so they took the son and they killed him, which is exactly what we see in Jesus Christ that God sent his only son to speak to the people. And for three plus years, Jesus went around preaching and teaching and doing miracles. And many who heard that did not want to hear it. And what did they do? They said, let's kill this messenger. Now, once you reject Jesus Christ. There is hope in no other. There is no other hope that's going to come. So Jesus has come. He came for them, and and we know that he's come through the word of God, and that is it. That is our salvation. (laughs) Now, for those who nailed Jesus to the cross, they totally missed the word of God. They totally missed the Savior of God. Let us not be guilty of doing the same thing. Let us not hear the word of God and miss the Lamb of God, the one who was slain for the forgiveness of sins. Because many people in this world, perhaps they hear of Jesus and they say, oh, no, that's that's not good enough. That's not going to do anything for me. And they go around searching in different religions and all kind of different stuff in the world, trying to find deliverance and salvation. And there is no other deliverance or salvation that can be found except for in Jesus Christ. And so... God had prepared the vineyard. Everybody he sent, the prophets, the kings, the the judges, whoever God had put in their path to lead them, they refused to do right. He said, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll listen to the son. But God's people refused to listen to the son and they nailed him to a cross. Let's continue on. Verse 9, Therefore, what uh, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the farmers and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Okay, so God first came to his people, first to the Jew through Jesus Christ, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Now, praise the Lord, some Jews followed Jesus Christ. Some accepted that he was the Messiah. And for those that rejected him, well, that was it. Where where else is another Messiah going to come from? There is going to be no other. Jesus has come. You will either accept him today, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, or you will not accept him today. But if you're waiting on another Savior to come, you're going to be waiting a while because there are no other Saviors coming because he has already come. Jesus Christ has already been crucified and resurrected okay so look jesus came to the ones that 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 should have listened to him they didn't listen to him okay now the gospel goes out into the rest of the world first to the jew then to the gentile now all can be saved and all could before through jesus christ but but the method by which god chose to bring the savior was through his chosen people and he did it just so happened that some of those chosen people chose to reject jesus christ and so What does it say of Jesus? That he is the cornerstone. And that's what we must be built on. If if we're not built on that cornerstone, then we are in great trouble. It says the stone the builders rejected, that is the Jewish people rejected Jesus instead of building on him, he in fact is the cornerstone. So what of us? What is the cornerstone of our life? Perhaps We have tried to make cornerstones out of a lot of things in our life, through things of the world, things that we're involved in, things that we do, things that we try to find satisfaction and relief and joy or happiness is in only to find that these things that we try to make our cornerstone, they crumble. And that's because our cornerstone, if it's not made on Jesus Christ, is not going to be sufficient. So what of us today? Are we making our cornerstone Jesus Christ? Or are we those who are like the Jewish people that Jesus came to who maybe today or maybe in the past you've heard or you've seen or you've read the word of God and you know who Jesus is and the kingdom of God has come near? Well, maybe you need to enter the kingdom of God. Maybe today is the day. Maybe you know the Lord. Maybe you feel him convicting you. Maybe you know you've set a cornerstone in your life that's not Jesus Christ and it's crumbled time and time again. Perhaps today is the day that when the kingdom of God has come near you through the word of God that you need to enter the kingdom of God and you need to make Jesus Christ your cornerstone. So Jesus tells this parable about the vineyard owner and about the son who was going to come. They killed the prophets. They killed the Messiah. And and his audience did not like to hear this. Verse 12, because they knew he had said this parable against them. And they were looking for a way to arrest him. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Now, how bad is that? that his audience knew he was speaking this against them, and that didn't get their their attention. It seems like if they knew that he was talking about them, they would have said, whoa, he's talking about me. We're the ones who were guilty of that. Man, God, forgive me for for, for what I've done. Forgive me for missing you, dear Lord. Forgive me for questioning who the Messiah is. But instead, they heard the truth. They knew the truth was about them, and they said, we got to get rid of this guy. That's the craziest thing in the world. That's what people want to do with God today, by the way. God's word is the truth. It tells us things we don't like to hear. It convicts us of our sin. But instead of reading it and saying, boy, I know that's true. I know I sinned that way. Let me not ever read God's word again. Maybe we need to read it again and say, whoa, I know I'm doing this. I need to repent of what I'm doing and put my faith in Jesus Christ and make him the cornerstone of my life. But that's not what those who nailed Jesus to the cross did. They heard this parable against him. They were not happy with it, and they said, we've got to get rid of this guy. Well, let us not make the same mistake today. Back to Hebrews chapter uh, 3, or excuse me, chapter uh, 2, 1. We're going to get there in a second. Hebrews chapter 1, <laughs> verse 2, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. All right, in these last days, he has spoken to us uh, by his son. He has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Uh, this is similar language to what we see in the book of Colossians. In Colossians 1, 15 through 17, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, our rulers, our authorities... All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Now, that's a pretty good passage about Jesus Christ. That's the very idea that the writer of Hebrews here is trying to get across to his audience, okay? In the past, God worked in these ways, but we are in the present. And now in the present and every day forward, God has worked and is working through Jesus Christ and will continue to do so. So don't go back to the things in the past. Don't seek religion. Don't seek animal sacrifices. Don't go back to your old ways, whatever our old ways may be. But let us stand firm in Jesus Christ because all things are for him and through him. He is what holds all things together through his uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Verse 3 The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word and making purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. Okay, so the sun is the radiance of God's glory. If we want to know who God is, if we want to see who God is, if we want to know more about God, we can study about Jesus Christ because he is all that God is. He shows us how to live a godly life. He shows us a perfect example. He, in fact, is the radiance of God's glory. And what did he do that makes Jesus so significant? He made purification for sins and that's part of the problem for the for the audience of hebrews is they were wanting to go back to the old sacrificial system they were wanting to seek purification of sins from the blood of animals now it's it's likely i would say that none of us are sacrificing animals for the forgiveness of our sins probably nobody in here has ever done that i hope you haven't and if you have and you're tempted to go back to that then please be here for the next year as we go through the book of hebrews now, our temptation, if we are in Christ, may not be to offer animal sacrifices, but there will no doubt be temptations in our life, which, which the devil will try to use to pull us away from Jesus Christ, to pull us back to the things of the world that we used to do, things that we know are not healthy for us, things that we know are sinful. And so we must always be on guard that we are not trying to go back to the things of the world but that we are trusting in Jesus Christ. That was the problem for the people, the audience of the book of Hebrews, and, and it's still a temptation for us today that we, that we are tempted to be drawn away from Christ and live for the world, but we must fight against those temptations. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, talks this same kind of language about Jesus being the, 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 the purification for our sins, and 1 John Uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. Okay, so God's word is written to us so that we may not sin. It tells us what sin is in the same way that God spoke through the prophets in the Old Testament and said, hey, here's some things that you shouldn't do. Uh, These things are sinful. God spoke and revealed himself in a variety of ways to let people know what wasn't good. Okay, so that's good. We still have God's word today, the Old Testament, the New Testament, so that we can strive to live by God's word and not sin. But the reality of it is, even if we strive, there are going to be days that we are going to sin. Well, praise the Lord. God knows that. Uh, So I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation of our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Praise the Lord that if there is sin in our life, where does our purification come from? Who is the propitiation of our sin? Who is the sacrifice once and for all? It is Jesus Christ. So God's word is for us to learn and know so that we can walk by him and strive not to live in sin. But uh, newsflash, you and I are all sinners. And where does that salvation come from? It comes from Jesus Christ. He is the one who has made propitiation, that is, he's the sacrifice for our sins. That's the same idea that the author of Hebrews is trying to get across here, that Jesus is the purification that we need. It is found in no one or nothing else. And then at the end of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, that is Jesus has completed his work, which is totally opposite from what the high priest in the Old Testament had to do. And we'll talk more about that as the book continues. But year after year after year, the high priest would continue to go and offer sacrifices for sins. Because no sooner than the high priest offered a sacrifice for sin, somebody in Israel was going to sin again. And so it was a continual process that there was no sacrifice by animal that could be made that was sufficient to cover the sins of God's people and all of humanity that put their faith in him uh, forever. And Jesus uh, Jesus was the one who ended up being the solution to this problem. God knew that this was not a, a good solution to this problem because these high priests continually had to go and offer the sacrifice. That is, their work was never done. But Jesus' work is done. He has set down at the right hand of God. So Jesus is a high priest who is successful in what he has done. And what has he done? He has given his life on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. We see that same idea in Romans chapter uh, 8, verse 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us wow isn't that a beautiful thing that to know that even though we are sinners that jesus died for us and he intercedes for us on our behalf that jesus says i am going to the cross i am going to give my life i am going to the father i am going to be victorious i'm going to sit at the right hand of god and i have interceded on your behalf as a sinner So who condemns you, the passage says. Where is their condemnation if we are in Christ? There is no condemnation in Christ. There is no condemnation in the one who is victorious and seated at the right hand of God. There is no condemnation on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. But for the people in the book of Hebrews, they were setting themselves up for trouble because they were wanting to turn from Jesus Christ and they were wanting to turn back to a system, to things of the world, that would not do them a bit of good. And in things of the world, there is much condemnation. There is great condemnation, but not in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but he came that all may be saved through him. John chapter 3, verse 17. And so what of us today? If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, maybe there are some in this room and maybe you've heard God's word a million times, but maybe you've never really put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God and it don't work that way. Maybe today even the Holy Spirit is convicting you. Maybe today you know that you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Maybe today you realize that you have trying to you've been trying to make cornerstones of all kind of junk in this world only to find that time and time again they crumble underneath you but i'll tell you jesus is the solid rock on which if you stand he will never crumble there's condemnation in the world but there is freedom in jesus christ there is chaos in the world but there is peace in jesus christ Maybe you are here today, and you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, and maybe you are tempted to turn from Him. Maybe sometimes you are angry with God, or you question God, or you don't understand God, or maybe you think there's Jesus and something more that that should be had, but there is not Jesus, and there is Jesus. That's That's a problem for many Christians today. They say, well, I can have Jesus, and I can do this. I need Jesus, and I need that. No, you need Jesus. There is no Jesus and. There is Jesus on the cross, crucified and resurrected. So perhaps today, even if you are a child of God, don't follow the temptation to abandon Jesus. Don't turn from Jesus. Don't try to put your faith in anything else. But let us keep our faith in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these good words. I pray that as we begin to dive into this book that you would help us to see the things that we need to see God I pray that we don't find ourselves trying to live in the past and things of the past or trying to find salvation or trying to turn back to worldly things that once seemed good to us but dear Lord let us hold strong in Jesus Christ God maybe there are some in this room today and they have never put their faith in Jesus Christ maybe they've been close to the kingdom dear Lord maybe they've heard your word maybe they know it's true god maybe they've been like those that heard that parable of the vineyard owner maybe they heard the truth and just didn't want to accept it but god today i pray that that maybe today is the day that they that they realize that they don't need to try to shut the truth up but they need to they need to live by the truth dear lord god that truth is jesus christ so god i pray that if there are some in this room maybe that have never put their faith in jesus that today that they would repent that they would give up their old life of of just living for the world god they know it's not working for them they're miserable God, I pray that today that they would find joy, that they would find peace in Jesus Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.